Hey, this is Adam Torres, and I'm here to tell you that it has never been easier to start your very own podcast. At Mission Matters, our goal is to amplify stories that matter. That means we want to help you start your podcast because your story matters. We can do this in three different ways. One, join our podcast school and take a free or paid course. Two, visit our resources page where we've already figured out what you need, such as where to host your podcast. Or three, heck, we can even do everything for you through our podcast agency, including editing for cheaper than you can do in-house. Oh, and no contracts, services month to month. Get started by heading over to missionmatters.com and click on start a podcast. All right, now let's get into the show. Hey, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Mission Matters Money Podcast, your source for all things money. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram at AskAdamTorres. Keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, signings, all that other good stuff. Always love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, missionmatters.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. All right, so today I have David Ament on the line, and he is um, the chairman over at Peak Performance Group of Companies. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. All right, David. Uh, so excited to get into today's topic. So we're going to talk about uh, international tax planning and asset protection. A lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, executives out there that are curious about this topic, but maybe haven't gone that um, gone that far down the line to see if it makes sense for them. So we're going to clarify. So I should say you're going to clarify some of that for them today. Um, I'm just going to ask the questions, David. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to uh, go a little bit further into peak performance group of companies overall. So tell us a little bit more about your company. Please. Yeah, so it's basically a group of companies, and we focus on not outside of our portfolio companies, uh, acquisitions and investments and such. Uh, but outside of those, what we really focus on is uh, financial literacy, asset protection, uh, tax planning, not just on a domestic level, but international. So that really, I, I don't know who it was that actually said it, and maybe it's a plethora of folks. It was not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And when you start looking at strategies of, you know, that the Rockefellers had, um, you know, Robert Kiyosaki has been known to say, which was actually Nelson Rockefeller who initially said it, which was, uh, you, you want to own nothing and control everything. And, you know, in that light, it really is, you know, we have frivolous lawsuits that go on. We have, um, you know, <laughs> marriages, divorces, uh, medical issues, um, you know, who knows? You know, the, the, there's so many range of different things that can happen. And really, it's not a matter of you having to, um, uh, deal with it at the time that it happened. It's the preparation beforehand. Mm. And so what we really do in the group of companies is we build extreme wealth on a multi-decade and multi-generational aspect. And in that, uh, you know, we, we, have a financial literacy program where we teach folks how they can actually come in and uh, learn what's, you know, how do I become wealthy? How do I protect my assets? What's the proper way to structure things instead of getting in too far and then figuring out, oops, I've kind of done this wrong and now it's going to be expensive to come back and rebuild, you know, a company or entities, what have you. And so we really do focus on that extreme wealth building and protection so that, over the course of uh, years, decades, and even generations, it stays well intact. So peak performance finance is where we 
uh, and peakperformancefinance.com specifically, you know, that's kind of our, our home base, so to speak. And then from there we flange out and, and we hope to help folks take care of things that are, that are near and dear to the heart. Uh, it's not necessarily, you know, making money is great, but it's not, the money itself is not is not what we're really after. It's what it does for us. It buys us freedom. It buys us the, it buys us mobility. It buys us security, certainty. Um, and one of my favorites is it buys us fun. You know, we have the ability to have control of our own time, our own geography, and how we can actually have fun with the people who are important to us, uh, where we want to, when we want to. And uh, if we're all going to work or we're all building businesses, investment portfolios, whatever it may be, um, estates, et cetera, why not do it in a manner that's meaningful and, and has, you know, real, real, real long legs? No, it's, it's well said, David. And uh, and for those that have been listening to this show for a long time, they know that I was a financial advisor for many years. And, and the bottom line is this. You, you you plan ahead, you do these things ahead, and it costs you thousands of dollars versus down the line could cost you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, depending on, you know, your age, the type of wealth you've accumulated, and the, and the amount of and frequency of mistakes that you've made along the way that maybe you didn't even know you were making. It was just, you don't know what you don't know. That's what this, it comes down to. So I think what your company like yours are doing is awesome and I think it's also a great transition so I do want to go further into today's topic so um, international tax planning and asset protection I mean it's a big topic a lot of people are curious but it's always kind of one of those like fringe things in finance or in planning I should say and the reason I say fringe is just because it's not what your everyday financial planner let's just say not to pick any company but it's not what your probably down the street guy that's at his office is going to do like it takes a different type of specialty and it's a, it just it takes um, a different different type of um, really picking your niche and knowledge. So where do you want to start with this topic? I know it's a big one and we can only do so much in a, in a 15 minute interview, but I want to give my, my audience some basis to, to start thinking along what path they should be going. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's focus on value, providing value for folks, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is a, a little aside, a slight sidebar here, but the fact that somebody sitting here, you know, you uh, are listening to this podcast I'm here to speak to you, and I'm here to bring value to you because time is an irrevocable resource. You will never, ever get that moment back. It's over and over and over again. So let's make sure that we bring some value here. Hopefully it's something that either it's planting a seed today or maybe it's even something where, gee, it's time to take action. Either way, value is what we're going to focus on. So as far as, you know, international, and I'll just talk about the topic there. So um, we have offices uh, in Latin America, San Francisco, and London. And in that concept, there are different cultures. So in the U.S., international is kind of a big thing because mm-hmm. the U.S. is a very broad swath of geography. And, um, it, you know, as far as borders that we actually share, we only share two uh, political boundaries with other nations. Now, when we're over in, say, the U.K., um, international is not a big thing. It's like, yeah, we, we popped over there for the weekend or for lunch. Mm-hmm. It's not really that that big of a deal. But as far as the, you know, in the U.S. specifically, there is there are far less resources for conducting business internationally. Um, for the most part, it's probably because the U.S. is actually the biggest consuming nation on earth. So every other country, every other company that's outside the U.S., if they look to expand, 
they probably want to come to the U.S. because we're really good consumers. I'm an American, and we're really good consumers. We love to just buy stuff. It makes us feel good. You know, we're bolstering the economy. When it comes to planning internationally and as far as the information, you know, it's not real popular in the U.S. Predominantly, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to form some sort of a business, whether it's, a, you know, via utilizing tools such as entities, trusts, foundations, um, some of the tools, you know, those are some of the arrows in our quiver, tools in our toolbox. And when you're starting to go into that, in that direction, predominantly you're going to be stifled by a lack of information, a large level of skepticism by your professionals. Professionals might be financial advisors, of which I was one, uh, is licensed in the U.S., um, might be an accountant, a CPA or EA, uh, might be an attorney. And predominantly what they're going to do is they're going to they're tell you, A, uh, at least in a proper response about international uh, by a licensed you know, U.S. one or in a state in the U.S., they're going to tell you uh, one of two things. Either one, I can't answer that question or talk about that. I'm not licensed for it. The other is they might say, ooh, that doesn't, that sounds, um, not scary, <laughs> uh, but something of that nature. Uh, that like sounds, you're adding more uh, risk. That it sounds like you may be adding risk. risk or, yeah, exactly. Yep. And it's just, and it's exactly. not necessarily true. It's, and it's, they're not necessarily giving bad advice. It's just they're saying that for their comfort <laughs> level is what they're speaking about because they don't know. Exactly. Exactly. One of my attorneys, as a matter of fact, uh, that we utilize for our investment firm um, within the, the, the group, Peak Performance Global Equity. And one of my attorneys that we utilize there is Silicon Valley based. And I find it uh, comical at times because uh, there is correspondence, there's certain participation that they may have in certain deals. And the mm-hmm. funny thing about it is I have never had him condone that this is a good, that yes, you should move into this, it's a good deal. Because he starts seeing specifically uh, the letters of intent and the documents that are moving around. And we've got, um, you know, the investments in Moldova. We've got uh, the attorney in London. We've got the entity is based in Gibraltar, but the registry address in the, is in the British Virgin Islands. And right there, they go, well, wait a second, red flags. You're, you're talking about wiring money, you know, outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they, it, it, it is interesting because straight away, now he tells me no. And that doesn't necessarily mean, as a sophisticated investor, that, that, that I'm going to, yes, step into the play or not. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting because I have that firsthand experience, and it never ceases to amaze me, uh, even with uh, our my and our uh, investment track record, that he doesn't necessarily look at it through a different lens or, or inquire anymore. Uh, simply just says, and maybe it's a... a a CYA maneuver, but he simply says, yeah, I, I, I would not recommend this deal. Now, he hasn't looked at the financials. He simply looked at <laughs> what, what jurisdictions are we talking about? Hasn't looked at the upside, hasn't looked at the return, nothing of that nature. You know, what's the exit? Nothing of that nature. So I bring that back because, you know, I understand that we do have an international audience here. I want to make sure I'm, again, mm-hmm. providing value. But in the U.S., just because it's scary, in other countries as well, but just because it's scary doesn't mean it's wrong. It means it's something to, you know, sure, be a little cautious about, uh, inquire more about. And truthfully, you can utilize this double-edged sword, so to speak, in your favor 
at times, and sometimes it might not be in your favor. But if you had in any country, if you have uh, charging orders from a court, and maybe it's even a frivolous lawsuit, you have something of that nature. If the assets like intellectual property are actually owned by a company that's outside the U.S., your own company, but outside that jurisdiction that the court gave the charging orders, that's fine. Go levy the bank accounts. Go seize the assets. Well, attorneys are rendered pretty much um, non-existently powerful, and as are the courts, when you just cross a jurisdictional line. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. we move to a different sovereign state. And it doesn't mean that you have to... Uh, you have to do anything there. We never, in our case, we never do anything illegal. We never uh, say that you should do anything illegal it, on the land that we actually do any of our services over hundred jurisdictions on earth. We specifically are obeying the laws of the land. If we are, those laws are not in our fa- in favor of the client or ourselves. We move to a jurisdiction where the laws, we can comply with the laws and they are, but there's no reason to break laws really. You just move to a, to a land, to a jurisdiction where it does make sense. No, that's very well said. And I think that even just that bit in itself, like people don't necessarily understand, because like you said, we're not, I'm going to make a stereotype here. And I mean, I, I we're not well-traveled compared to like our Europeans or other a lot of other countries because of the border thing. I completely agree with you. We're more well-traveled than we were, say, 10, 20 years ago. But now, like, we're just not as well-traveled. So the idea of, like, going to another place is, like, for vacation for us. We don't necessarily have that thing in us where it's like, you know, oh, well, yeah, we got there for lunch. Like, so, you know, to do business over there, no big deal. Oh, wait a minute, there's a, there's a law there or there's a more friendly like way of doing um you know business abroad that might be beneficial to us i guess now people are maybe just now i would argue um starting to accept even that from state to state like oh we can move to texas we can move to you know we can go to nevada we can you know delaware delaware trust like all these things which you know you go back 20 years or something and that was even considered crazy i don't know if we should move our business to to uh you know nevada because that's just casinos and gambling in vegas you know what i mean it was all different so now i think that next level, so to speak, is exactly what you're talking about. Now people finally, after all this time, move within states to state to um, to change things like, um, you know, California, a lot of people leaving here due to taxes and where they want to take us. It's just crazy. I'm not going to get on that tangent, but, um, you know, that's happening. Mm-hmm. So now I think the next part of the trend is where you come in line. So now that once somebody's comfortable with moving domestically, finally, after all this time, now the whole idea, wait a minute, there's other things abroad that we can be doing that we don't necessarily have to move, but we can structure our business in a way that's advantageous to us. Um, And it's not a bad thing. Like you said, you're not breaking laws, nothing like that. It's not like the movies or anything like that. No um, no spies or crazy stuff. Like Hollywood kind of may brand some things. It's just another way of doing business. There's paper over there. There's paper over here. If there's going to be something like... um, government risk or systemic risk or stuff like that, I mean, that's part of the equation, right? Just like any investment or any business you're setting up, whether that's here or elsewhere, I mean, everything has its risk, but it's something for people to educate themselves, in my opinion, about and to be more open to and to see, does it fit their situation? It might not fit it, it might fit it though, and when it does fit it, um, it, it just becomes another, like you said, tool in your tool belt of things that you can pursue. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the jurisdictions, I mean, even states in the U.S., you know, are different jurisdictions. And you've got some high tax ones and you've got some low tax ones. We've got, we're down to five now. There are two tax havens since 2015. There were, there were five. Nevada's, um, <clears throat> for the most part, is out of the loop, depending on what type of business you're mm-hmm. uh, forming and operating and such. And one of the things to do is, is insulate and isolate yourself. And what I mean by that is big companies, you know, enterprise level companies, brands that we know, this is not new to them. Um, if you're in the U.S. and a company is based outside of, say, California, California is one of those three really high tax jurisdictions. Oh, and so what me. you want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, David. I appreciate that. Just kick the host. Oh, cool. Go Ooh. ahead. Keep, keep, keep going. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Adam. Salt of the wound. Oops. Apologies. Another little faux pas. Media faux pas. There. Do not do that. Um, but in the case of when the company's based outside of California, but they have satellite offices in California, you know, one of the structures that we utilize, uh, larger companies have been doing this for some time, and we do this all over the world. But in this case, let's use this example, is that you're based in anywhere, Wisconsin, doesn't really matter where you're based. You're based where you're based. That's perfectly fine. There's reasons that you started there, you built a company there, you hire staff there, et cetera. Um, when you open up your satellite offices, in California, you form a whole separate entity. And what that does, by and the, the proper types of entities, that varies a little bit, but when you open a proper entity in a high-tax jurisdiction, what you're doing is you're severing a line, you're creating a corporate veil specifically between the bulk of your business, let's say 90% of your business is in the U.S., but not in California. 10%, you say, well, we want to tap into the largest state. Um, we believe that's a good market for us. You step into that. If you don't form a separate entity, the state of California is really aggressive. They will actually make the Internal Revenue Service look like look like puppy dogs that have no teeth yet. And what they'll specifically try to do is they'll try to uh, bring in, they'll try to realize other revenue from other jurisdictions as California taxable. So by creating that separate entity, now just like a state line, like when you drive over into Nevada or Oregon or Mexico for that matter, you have changed jurisdictions. And that way they pay the proper taxes for the proper revenue and profits in that jurisdiction, but it doesn't reach out to the other 90%. Now, this is not a new concept to large companies um, on an international scale. So let's use a, an example. There's, there's many of them. There's Dole Pineapple, Chiquita Banana. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there are international companies. Let's use Starbucks. So Starbucks company is a global brand. Uh, most of us are familiar with it as a Seattle-based coffee company. Well, if you know anything about agriculture, um, you know that the coffee beans are not actually grown in Seattle. Uh, nowhere in <laughs> the state of Washington. <laughs> true, true. They're in Central America, South America, Africa, right? That's where the farms are. Okay, so if they decided they wanted to grow their own coffee, at times they do, and at times they contract their farmers, they have to go now to a different jurisdiction. So they're growing the coffee in, let's say, Costa Rica, um, where it then gets uh, shipped, grown and shipped to Seattle. Now, those are two different entities. There's a corporation farm in Costa Rica. So it now goes to Seattle, um, where it then gets roasted, distributed, and sold. Um, at that point, so that's that's uh, kind of originally, that's way, that's in the way back fishing in the in the infancy of our 
company and brand called Starbucks. Now, let's fast forward decades later. Now what we've got is we actually have the intellectual property. Well, yeah, so the, the intellectual property is actually owned by Starbucks Caymans. Now, let's say I'm in London. I'm in my London office, and for whatever reason, uh, I want to go to a Starbucks, get a cup of coffee, and so that's what I do. So I get a cup of coffee. I pay two pounds British uh, for this coffee, which that goes to from that store to Starbucks UK. And a portion of that two pounds that I paid actually goes to, we'll, we'll follow, follow this money here. <clears throat> the coffee was not grown in the UK. It was grown nowhere in Europe. It was still grown on the farm in Central America, in Costa Rica. So the, the two pounds that I pay actually goes to the parent company, which is uh, Starbucks Europe. Starbucks Europe, based in the Netherlands, which has the most tax trees of any country on earth, which then a percentage of the profits actually end up going over to licensing fees to Starbucks Caymans. Starbucks Caymans happens to own the logos, the, the cup styles, the colors of the stores, the roasting process, everything. So what they're doing is they're taking this global organization, right? You've got U.S., Washington, Seattle. You've got Costa Rica. You've got U.K., uh, Netherlands, and Caymans. Now, the reason that they're doing this shuffle, and it's all about doing the right step at the right time, right? There's, we justify things. It's not, there's no reason to do it just for no reason, uh, unless you want the experience. It's, it's an expensive, mm-hmm. probably dull hobby, frankly. But the reason that they're doing all this is so that they can realize the profits in the Caymans, which happens to be a tax haven, a zero-tax jurisdiction. But that coffee bean, at no time did it ever touch the Caymans. It went from Costa Rica, probably straight to the UK. But the money and the paper trail is a labyrinth that crossed across five different jurisdictions just for that one cup of coffee. And this way, they can mitigate for their shareholders. They're also a publicly traded company on a U.S. Mm -hmm. stock exchange. Mm -hmm. So they also happen to be able to mitigate the overhead and taxation, which then ends up yielding uh, profits, dividends, and potential growth for the organization, which bolsters the stock price up because they're operating in an intelligent fashion. This just excites me. I'm on the other side of the line right now, and I'm like, man, I want to get big like that so I can do cool stuff like this. (laughs) This just fires me up, David. I'm like, this is how I've gotten to 3,000 interviews is by talking to people like you. I'm like, man, I'm all excited now. Like, oh, I want to do some more stuff because I want to be big like Starbucks and I want to do cool strategies like that. (laughs) I know it sounds very basic, but I'm excited about it. It's amazing, David. Um, So that being said, uh, we're about out of time for this episode, even though I got like 50 million more questions to ask you after that example. I'm on fire over here. But uh, um, if somebody's listening, I know a lot of my audience right now are listening and they're excited like me too because I can feel it. Um, So if somebody is listening to this, David, and they want more information and want to connect with you and your team, I mean, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, that's that's great. I, I just want to preface that this is not for – I use the Starbucks as an example, international conglomerate. But really, the time to start that is when you're down potentially six figures of gross revenue, um, maybe seven, maybe eight. It depends on the company. It depends on the operations. But you can come over, and we've got a gift for you guys over at peakperformancefinance.com. And 
again, providing value. Because I happen to love this stuff. I'm a geek. I read tax books in my off time. Uh, I'm one of those guys, numbers geek and so on. And so come on over to peakperformancefinance.com. Got a gift for you over there. And we're going to make sure that we you know, take care of you, whether it's uh, for free or engaging in services. Either way, we just want to get rid of the ignorance and put you back in control of your finances and your life. Now, that's awesome. Well, thank you, David. Really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing more about your background and all the great things that you're doing to help uh, your clients. Uh, and to the audience, as always, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to head on over to peakperformancefinance.com and check out uh, David and his team. Go grab that gift. Um, and if you're listening for the first time and you haven't hit the subscribe button, hit the subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, leave us some comments on the video. Um, love to know what kind of projects that you're working on and uh, to have you as a re repeat listener and or viewer if you're on YouTube. And David, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.